Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is John Rooney. John has 40 years automotive experience where he started as an apprentice and worked his way all the way through to the executive level by the time he was 30 years old. Pretty amazing. Over the years, he has had the opportunity to see and work in many manufacturing plants across the globe and achieved his Six Sigma black belt while he was uh, working in in various different companies. Uh, Since retiring from the automotive industry, though, in 2018, he felt his need to share his learnings uh, over the many years through his company, JRC, Learn to Be Lean. Hey, welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you for having me, sir. Absolutely. Uh, I am always excited to, to talk to people uh, across the pond and hear about experiences that are happening uh, over on your side of the world. So I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Me too. And, and one of the things that actually comes to mind is uh, one of the things that we've never talked about on this show um, is some of the work that was done with Numi. And I know your, your lean experience, uh, you know, I've seen some of your experience that has tied back to Numi. Uh, and the Numi plant and the things that happened there. Uh, uh, I'm curious to hear, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the impact that maybe that had, you know, in the UK or in European plants, mm-hmm. places that you've been around the world. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Numi. Um, and what maybe we'll start out with, there, there are some people probably that are listening that don't know what Numi is or maybe have never heard about the, uh, the Numi plant. So maybe we could start out, John, by just talking a little bit about what it is, what happened, you know, what is Numi exactly? It's quite interesting to think, Patrick, I, I learned more about Numi after retirement. <laughs> Crazy as it may seem, but I read so much about Numi after retirement, although I'll take you back to around about, I think it was 84. I was a young, you know, I was a young engineer, keen. And we heard about this plant that was in America, part of Toyota, part of GM. Mm -hmm. And what GM actually did uh, with the European plants, which was the Opel Vauxhall side, asked for the high potentials. I wasn't one of them, but I'm talking high level executives to go and spend two years in America. Now, their job was to go look, see, visit as part as well as the, you know, the Japanese visit, but to bring that back. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, the synopsis of the GM, yeah, this is great, we're working on it. But one of the big roadblocks for me that was when you read about it was the culture. The, the culture was so different. And also the communication. You can imagine these guys have come back from two years in, in America and they want to change the world in a UK plant that is fully unionized, well overmanned, lots and lots of waste, but they're just going to go in and change it. So my opinion of New is, is I've, I've read a lot more about it. You know, the Kenty Anderson book is a very interesting book for sure. Um, that, that, in the end, disbanded, as you know, it, it just didn't work. GM walked away from it, right. took the little snippets that it believed would work, but all the, you know, the, the respect for people and the key for me wasn't taken away. It was just left. It stayed. It stored a moth. It went. I think it went in for mothball for a number of years, and now it's no longer there. You know. Mm-hmm. So for me, knew me exciting times. A great idea offer from Toyota, and did GM and the European plants take it in? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. There was some snippets, um, but did they take it in? No. 
Right. And and just so people that know who are listening and, and have never heard Numi before, what, what happened was uh, Toyota and GM created a partnership and they chose the Numi plant in the U.S. to uh, experiment with and have a, have this partnership inside the Numi plant. And uh, funny thing, the, the, the Numi plant uh, was actually one of the worst performing plants uh, in yeah. the U.S. from a, you know GM's perspective at that time. Uh, lots of different issues uh, that, that were going on there culturally, uh, but they took the executive leadership team, many of the uh, you know leaders in the organization, and and took them to Japan first, and engulfed uh, in, in them and immersed them in uh, Japanese culture and the Toyota production system, and then had them come back. And so you know what what John is talking about now is the uh, the partnership between Numi and the European. GM plants, where then they brought the European uh, plants over and and visited uh, Numi to try to bring back some of that to to Europe. Um, I'm almost feeling like a, a bit of the what you know what we call in the U.S. the telephone game, maybe uh, where it's like, well, did they really receive all all the entire message from the leadership at at Numi? Were they were they working directly with Japanese leadership in the Numi plant or? Were they working with you know U.S. leaders or how? What did that look like? No, they they, they were. But I think you're right, Patrick. It was mainly U.S. leaders, and it was only you know they didn't go out to Japan, um, but certainly you know there were certainly Japanese leaders that were still in the new meat plant itself. So again, for me, I think the Europeans were getting a diluted version of new. Right. So you were getting you know all the points. You know they developed different. They didn't do a TPS system. They did a GMS system many many years later but uh for me i think what the european plants looked at and it was a directive from gm everybody get over there we're going to learn we're going to change and instead of focusing on the people the first thing these groups of people will come back was head count reduction that's the first thing out the box mm, we can head count heads. reduction right oh, yeah. wow and that's the wrong mentality right off the bat right so total you know we talk about respect for people respect for others the first thing you come back and you you know the guys obviously they were high level um in the european plants and the uk plants the waste level was 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 significant you know it was unbelievable so it, it wasn't hard work for them to come back to the plants and take all the low-hanging fruit away mm -hmm. but you lost the trust in the people because they see new me yeah sounds good the communication back to the plants, nobody really mentioned Numi. Nobody explained what was the difference and, you know, how we're going to change and why they did it. You know, the communication was, we've learned some new things and we're going to implement them in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the message, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So what, what impact, if any, do you think that, uh, you know, the Numi plant had on G GM uh, European plants? Did, you know, that did you witness any change, any positive change or what you know anything at all i think i think you always say there, there was some positive change but you can imagine the guys that have been out there learning came back uh was separated uh, for example it, they developed a, a new system called quality network process systems decided that's what they're going to use in europe you know another buzzy word um but then the plants decided to make up not kaizen teams as such as it was called and they were called qnips teams same thing no different but Again, it, they were hand-picked teams, not not from every area, you know, from ME, from quality, and, and just brought into a nice office, set up in a lovely office, all on their own, 
and their job was to go and take out the low-hanging fruit. Now, the, the problem that, that made, although they were hand-picked and very cross-functional, there was masses of low-hanging fruit. Believe me, Patrick, you know, what I know now, if I think back to them times, it would have been so easy to take it out. But they were getting good plaudits for taking the waste out. But the second team, the, the, the actual guys on the shop floor, weren't as well in, involved as they should be. Mm-hmm. So in the end, Cunips as it was, they were seen as the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are coming in. They're not here, you know, not here to help. You know, making things easier, better, faster, cheaper. It wasn't always the case. It was to take hats out, low-hanging fruit. I mean, nobody was ever made redundant. That that was always the thing about Vauxhall. When I started, um, there was 13,000 people. Uh, to give you a size of the plant. And now I, I went to the plant. I was fortunate to go to the plant uh, two weeks ago for the 60th year and the last ever built UK Astra. And there's about 1,000 people. Wow. That's a huge so, reduction. You know, you see that and people will say, well, is that what Numi called? Is that what Kaizen called? And to be honest, you know, over the years, there was natural attrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so people really were redeployed, whether it be body shop, paint shop, press shop and so on. But years on years, there was very there was quite a few voluntary packages and people just left at the time. I always remember at the age of 30 and I question myself now. I got offered the position at Toyota and I always wonder, should I have gone? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Um, I always remember going to my boss and saying, here's my letter. I've been for the interview. And he just said, remember, the grass is always greener. If you go and let me know. And that was the, that's the only thing I said from now. I decided at the time because of logistics and where it was to stay. And, you know, I did well. Mm-hmm. But I always question myself is where would I have been if I'd have gone to Toyota? Sure. But I think the, the new me impact on Europe in particular was we're going to make a mass headcount saving. It wasn't the change of the culture and how we were going to change people and what we were going to do. It was how many heads can we take out? Mm. The, the the respect for the workforce, for me, uh, I was in quality. And, and as you can imagine in them days, Patrick, quality and lean didn't really gel. Mm. Why, why the quality? We're here just to tell people what's wrong. That's what we're here for. You know, they always say about the, the quality guys having a golden finger that you just that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You know, you're not there to help. You're there to find out what's wrong. So Europe, year on year then from the new me years, and particularly, I would say, from the 2000s, um, it became a game that every year GM would set you a target for the European plants of a 5-10% headcount cut with no legit logic behind it. It was just take it out. Mm. And that, unfortunately, that became a bit of a game over the years then because... The more honest you were the year before, you would be knowing there's going to be a 10% cut. And I shouldn't say this, probably not on your podcast, but there was a thing called white rabbits. What Mm. you end up doing, you build jobs in. Mm -hmm. So when you get pressurized, you can take them out. But are they real jobs? Not really. They're probably not loaded. They're probably 60% loaded, if that. So it was was a game that went on um, until probably, I would say, around about 2000. And then then the lean really started to come in and not because of new me GM at that time then had started to develop their GMS system, which starts, you know, if, if you look at it, anybody looks at very much a, um, a copy of the Toyota production system, you know, the, the five key areas, mm-hmm. but it, it slowly, slowly embedded 
you know, but you, you can imagine one of their things, Patrick, was if they went to a guy when they had the big audits, and boy, did they have big audits, they'd have a team of 12 people from all over Europe coming to measure you. Mm. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, and the guy in the shop floor, they expected him to know the mission, the vision in his head, every single guy. I mean, that, that changed in the latter years that we said, you know, that's crazy to think. He can know where it is. It could be on the walls. It could be in the supervisor's file. He's not going to remember everything. So it's it just become a, a driven target game. But yeah, it, in the early years, it was so easy to take the low-hanging fruit. But you had to get efficient. You know, you had to get efficient in the latter years. So it had an impact for me, but not, you know, did we ever mention you, me, in the plant? Was it ever mentioned to the shop floor? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, John, what do you think it was then, uh, you know, when, when things started to change and you felt like uh, True Lean was starting to, to uh, get, you know, uh, accepted and, and implemented in the way that it should be? What, what do you think was different, um, you know, where leaders were maybe looked at a little bit differently or, or whatever it might be? It, it really took Patrick. It, 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 it was a slow process. Um, I'm going to tell you something now that you but for, from around about 2000, so about 2017, mm-hmm. certainly Europe never made a profit mm. for 17 years. Yeah. Wow. So all these wonderful ideas, there was always a question of why would you keep, why would you keep Europe if after 70 years you didn't make a profit? Mm-hmm. I reckon they lost something in the region of 25 billion mm. over that 17 years. And our question was, we were doing everything it was right. We were making the change. We were making the headcount savings. Um, so you could never figure it out. But it, it, it's amazing to see, I suppose, my last year. And I'll go back to your question in a minute. My last year, uh, last year and a half, the big Stellantis group bought us out. They bought Opal Vauxhall. Mary Barra came over to the UK, came to our plant, shook hands with everybody because she was selling us to what was then the Peugeot group. As you know now, the Stellantis and they bought the Fiat Group, um, and they managed to turn the plant around um, within its first year to make about 500 million. Um, the second year was more around the one billion, and I believe last year, you know, since I've left, mm-hmm. it's just gone exponential. Wow! And they are very people related. I have to say, their structure—they had a, what's called the Peugeot Excellence, which is again a copy of the Toyota production system, but the guy at the top, Carlos Tavares, he came to the plant and he always remembered him coming over to the plant. Um, and he, he had a meet with the execs at the end and he, he put us a bit of a synopsis. His part-time hobby is Formula 3 racing. That's what he does as a part-time mm. hobby. And he stood us all together and he said, guys, you're doing well. But he said, you're a bit like me. Last weekend, he said, there I was and I was doing me qualifying. And I thought I was doing well. I'm not five seconds off the second one, five. But when I'd finished, I found I was still ninth on the grid. And that's where you are. You're doing lots of changes, but you're not where you need to be. So you need to exercise the changes faster and get to where you want to be. And I, and I think since 18, they, they, they've really changed the whole plant. Um, they've changed everything to the fact they've just been announced that they will be the van electric plant for the whole of Europe, for the small van. So, you know, they've just shot for a major reinvestment, which will reopen in about September. 
uh, and they'll be making electric vans 100%. So, mm. you know, I think the whole thing about you had to get the trust in the people on the shop floor, that was always the, that was the hardest bit mm -hmm. because you were seen as head choppers, head count cutters, whatever you want to call it. Um, for a period of time, you're not going to believe this, but we made, we put a suggestion scheme. If you got a head out, they would get 12,000 pounds. Mm. That was good when it was a group of people, you know, if yeah. you had a team of six and you rebalanced the work. Sure. Um, but it become a bit of a, a cutthroat thing. Mm. If you, you can imagine what's going on, we're thinking, well, we know that job's weak and we'll get rid of that. But that, that drove a lot of, um, not interest, but it drove them to become more involved, thinking well, there's something in for us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something in for us. And, and they did do it. Um, that was took away many years ago. Sure. And now it's all about really balancing the work, making it making it easier, better, faster, cheaper for, for the people themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest change over them years is gaining the trust in the people. Right, absolutely. And, it, and, it, and I can obviously, I can hear how uh, th there was obviously a significant change from the way that things were to the way that they are now. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously some of those, those, you know, decisions that were made in the past drove the wrong types of behavior. And, uh, but obviously, you know, over a few years, you guys made some, some adjustments to that and laid the right foundation. And, and now, you know, the, the, uh, the benefits are being realized, which is amazing. Um, do you think that, you know, in, in the different organizations that you've worked in, not just GM, but, but other organizations as, as well, do you think that organizations are really, truly adopting continuous improvement as a, uh, in the proper way? Are they really lean uh, or, you know, do they just think it? You know, I talk about my book, this, this uh, culture of continuous appearance, right? Are they just yeah. appearing to be lean or are they really lean? What do you see the, the difference being? Well, Patrick, you know, um, if we, um, like many plants have been to, if we had a big visit at the plants, everything that didn't move was painted. Hmm. <laughs> everything that didn't move was painted. They, and when you came in, and for me, uh, uh, if you go to a car plant, the easiest way to see is it really lean and is it manufacturing right is to look at its float. Hmm. So your float is your amount of vehicles that have come off the line that should be going straight through the different, you know, whether it be a drive test, whether it be a, a shake and rattle test. But if your floats through the roof because you've got that much repair on the yard, are you really lean? Might look pretty, might look the place, really look fancy and clean, but yards full of cars. So for me, since leaving the auto industry, it really does depend on the company itself but not just that for me where we always start it's the guys at the top what is the mindset and what's the company culture for me if you haven't got that from the top down you're not going you you may think you're going to be a lean company and, and there's so many companies that are, you, you probably see them patrick that are making great pro great product great profit but Somebody's told them in corporate, we need to do lean. We've got to do lean because everybody else does lean. And they say, okay, well, we'll pick 10 people or whatever it may be. Let's put them through the sheep dip process. Let's get all the boxes ticked and then say, yeah, we are lean now, but we're making profit. Why worry about it? And it's just, it's since leaving the industry, there's places we go into and you think, wow, 
I, I truly believe once I left the automotive industry, I'm going to see some wonderful things out there. And I have to say, sometimes I go, I think I've gone back to the 1970s. So and it, true. it scares me. I actually worked with a company one time that the, the, uh, the employees actually said that to me. They said, uh, we don't really need you here. We make enough money to not have to change. We don't, yeah. we don't need yeah. to make any changes. We're fine. We, we make yeah. enough money. <laughs> so, wow. It's, it's um, I, I don't know if you ever worked, but I've worked with, we, we've met some dogmatic MDs who, who really think they know it. They know lean. We're, we're there just there to help um I, I go on the shop floor but don't worry but as soon as you, you create some prickles and you say well we want to change this or let me run it autonomously and i'll i'll run it for you for the week uh no 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 don't do that don't do that you'll upset people and um so let, let, let's just this is what i want you to do this is and then they put you in a box don't go outside that box mm -hmm. don't go outside of it yeah but we can see scope or objective for much more improvement yeah well you're not here to do that but that's 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 for me and it, it, it's frustrating, particularly, you know, when you go on the shop floor, you, you always get that obligatory shop floor tour and the point out all the good things. You know, that, and that's great. But I don't know about yourself. I like to meet the guys on the shop floor because you get the real answer mm -hmm. within probably 20 minutes of what type of company it is. That's right. You know, they'll tell you whether the culture is what it is. And, you know, you always get the bleating about senior management, but you, you know, how many times do you see, Patrick, you walk on the shop floor and, yeah, it looks pretty. And you just look across the 5S cleaning board and it's blank. There's no material on it. You know, there's no shovel. There's no brush. There's no... I mean, it's a lovely board. Probably costs an arm and a leg to buy, <laughs> but it, it's not there no longer. Mm -hmm. Tells you something you know, about and, the culture. And, and that, that, I think your book says it all, it, it, is people like to make it look pretty. And it's when you, you know, the simple thing of 5S, when you get to the shining, that's where they stop. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got it shiny now. We don't. We don't need to do any more. We don't need to sustain it. You know, we don't, just just carry on now. It, and then that for me then falls down. And you can imagine what message that sends to the shop floor. Mm -hmm. They all get engaged, enthusiastic about this five S. You go home and tell your wife, and then within three months, oh, we don't bother with that. That that was something last time. That would, yeah. we used to do that. It, it's it doesn't really work, you know. Um. And it's if you can't get a company that works, you know, from the you've got to get to the guys on the shop floor. For me, we I spent most of my career on the shop floor. Our officers were on the shop floor. And if you've got a problem, where do you go? You go and ask them. They'll tell you you don't need some with all due respect to Lean Six Sigma. I don't need a, a Demiac or a Project Charter. I'll go and speak to a guy and say, show me what's really wrong. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's. Even in my latter years, that's a bit I liked, you know, and getting the team leaders or the team members up to present, you know, what we would use it was a PPS similar to an AD. But it, their enthusiasm about they found what it is, what they've done to fix it, what they've done to contain it. It just gives you that lift, you think. And it's great to go out and see them on the section and say, that was fantastic. That. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say about reward, a thank you gives you so much more a simple thank you to a guy in the yes, shop floor um so and if you can't engage the people it's just something that's happening in senior management that may take off may not it'll be a bit of a buzz but as we said before if you're making profit yeah let's let's, let's bypass that by and just move on to something else hey patrick here i hope you're enjoying this episode of the lean solutions podcast and i always hate to interrupt the show 
but I wanted to take a moment to let you know about our Lean Solutions Academy. We offer many flexible learning and training options to include e-learning courses, live virtual classroom, and on-site classrooms. Our newest courses include leader standard work and visual management. Check out all of our offerings on our website at findleansolutions.com and click on Academy. Now, back to the show. Now, you mentioned the importance of uh, executive or senior leadership being engaged and involved uh, in order to support uh, lean transformation. Do you, would you have uh, any uh, character, what characteristics, behaviors, what are the things that you would see in an executive or senior leader that you think would be the, the right behaviors and characteristics to support a lean culture? Well, for me, if you're on the shop floor, I mean, I always remember one guy, it was one of the guys that went to knew me. Um, he, he ended up as my boss when he was quality manager and I ended up as the HR director of the plant. Even when we had two and a half thousand people, his name was Phil, I won't say his second name, but he knew everybody's name. Every single person's name on that shop floor. How, Patrick, I don't know. I thought <laughs> I was quite good at that. Right. Um, because isn't it, you know, if you're walking into work, you're walking past the production line, you see somebody, you wave, say, hi, guys, or whatever, but also be, be somebody, he's got to emit help. He's got to be approachable, certainly be approachable, and not um, get, you know, well, I haven't got the time for that. These, we always call the guys on the, on the shop floor foot soldiers. Now, that sounds that, like an army thing, but without your foot soldiers, you won't survive. Mm. You simply won't survive. So it's having engagement, approachability, um, a likeness, you know, you know, sometimes as an executive manager, you have to make tough decisions, but it's how you portray that decision and why you made that you know, decision is so important. You know, some some people, we had certain execs that would, you know, very simple, not come out of the office and just say, we need to take 10, outs, 10 heads out of that area. No discussion, no reasons why. He's been set a target above him. Uh, for me, I'd go and work with the teams. You know, the trade union on both sides could be a hindrance, but also a trade union could be help. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were there for the people on the floor, but also they were there. They understood the business. Um, when my teams, I had many, many Kaizen members in General Assembly. I think it was something like 28 Kaizen members mm -hmm. that worked on a section each. And obviously the stewards were on every section, but we taught all the stewards UAS timings. So there was no argument when we do a U.S. time and say it comes out as that. They'd say, yeah, OK. Sure. You know, they don't understand where the waste was. But if you didn't do that, you can imagine, well, looking at him, he's, he's working too fast. You know, it, it just became opinionated things. So my decision was we just train them. Mm -hmm. And that made it easy for me. Train them in what we know. Right. So for me, approachability is the most important thing. They see you as a high level executive of what it may be we used to every year patrick go on the line we called it the andon experience i did it in belgium i did it in poland and you'd actually go on the line for the week as an you know love it and you're just one of the guys you, you dress like them and they'd always put you on the worst job <laughs> of course <world>. they would <laughs> they would always plan the job that the ies were saying well it's tight but it's okay they would put you on that job. And believe me, the end of the week, you, you, you would just think, 
I couldn't do it. <laughs> how do they do it? You question yourself. How do they do that? Mm -hmm. For me, it's like a ticking clock. You know, depending on, you know, say, say 40 odd jobs an hour, the tack time being around about 90 seconds. That guy's doing it every night. It's, it's just like a, just like a robot, just like a robot. Not, you know, and, and you think the audacity, you know, that that is a skill in itself to be able to mm -hmm. do that. So true. Um, can I do it? Probably not. I did it for a week. Whenever they need coffee on a section, I'll get them all. Not just for one. I'll get the whole section of coffee because it get me two hours away getting <laughs> coffees for everybody. And and that's how it was. It, sure. it, it, it was a great time. But, you know, we, there was a plant there, Patrick, that was the jewel in Opal. It was the jewel. It was a Belgian plant in Antwerp. And uh, we used to get taken there. We took every single hourly paid there to see this is how you need to be. Mm -hmm. This is how your float needs to be. But circumstances changed. In certain times, that plant shut down. So, you know, you, you just, you've got to win-win every time. Yeah. And, and that's what you always got uh, at Opal Vauxhall. Cycle life of a model would be probably around about six years. And every six years, you then have to fight for the next model. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't a given right. You had to fight against sister plants. Our sister plant was a Polish plant. But we still got measured the same. As you can imagine, we still got measured the same, although their cost per car would be significantly lower just based on the wages alone. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, love hearing about the stories uh, of from different, even different uh, countries that you've worked in, uh, probably very different cultures, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. we, we've talked a, a quite a bit about headcount reduction and, and just the negative effects that that can have. I want to go back to that real quick because there are people listening that, that are probably you know, thinking to themselves, well, you know, sometimes we can't, can't get away from headcount reduction, like you know, business is down or, um, yeah. or we do make some significant productivity improvements that, that allow a, a specific area to go from 10 people down to eight people or whatever it might be. What, what do you think would be some positive ways to deal with uh, headcount reductions? How, what would be your recommendations on how to, you know, how to approach that and still, you know, keep, a, a, you know, a positive outlook on, on the future? As you say, it's going to happen. You know, you, you, if you do uh, a new me wall, remember, they used to call them new me walls. It's a, a, a line balance table now, but is you have to get the trust in the people from the beginning that, you know, let's be honest, if it was me, I'd be very worried that, you know, am I going to lose my job? Mm -hmm. So the way was is is to show how you would be redeployed within the same mm -hmm. organization. Right. Now, there will be a stage at a certain time that you can't keep redeploying. Mm -hmm. And it, it's 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 looking at the natural attrition. Yes. Um, and, you know, you want to keep your younger members and, you know, there's nothing against oh, but a guy that's 50 to 60 years of old trying to do 90 second tack time work, you know, on a balance of about 80 percent efficiency every day, every hour. That's not going to you know, that that's not going to work. And, you, you know, with ergonomics, particularly how ergonomics significantly changed over the year and how it gets measured now from what it was many years ago. So it's it's really, you've got to gain that trust from the beginning that we're not here to cut heads. Right. We're here to make improvements, uh, if necessary, in some cases, is, is actually up production, but no headcount increase. So that that's all a, another one that we always did, is to show that, well, we're going to go from 42 jobs to 46 jobs. Mm -hmm. We're not taking any heads out, but we're going to make you more efficient. Right. So... You know they have to work harder but we you know we put all the things in place that makes that work sensible 
So nobody's lost a job, but we're making four jobs an hour more. Right. So it, it, but it's, it's really how you communicate it, Patrick. It, it, it's, it, it, if you just go in and you hear that there's a Kaizen team coming in, they've been told they've got to take two heads out. Um, if there's 10 people, two, two of them, and it was always normally done on a fir, uh, last in, first out basis, we'll be thinking, well, wh what's going to happen to me? So imagine you go home to your wife, your children, and you say, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to be working, you know, because this is what's going on. So you have to explain up front. And we, we do that um, on any CIP workshop for headcount. We would present to the whole section of what's going to happen based on the numbers we could see what sort of reduction or change there would be. But explaining that the people that would, would probably go into body shop or to paint shop, but nothing about redundancy. It's just making it more efficient. But if it, for me, the key, if you don't communicate it properly, one people won't engage because why should I get rid of my own job? It doesn't make any sense. Right. It really doesn't. But if you can look at, and, and some people went on to better jobs, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, you'd be amazed when you look at a shop floor, Patrick, of how many level, you know, degree level people that are putting bits on cars. And you look at it and you think, that's unbelievable. So ideally with them, what we do, if we were hitting a section, somebody that has been, we'd say, well, you know, there's a potential maybe apprenticeship, maybe an engineer's position. So you, you, you've got to give them some incentive. That's right. for me. You, could, you can't just say, we're going to take the heads out. That's it. Sorry, guys. There's uh, in, in the UK, it would be called a dole queue. You know, you're out of job, off you go. Yeah. Um, and it's how you do that, really. Sure. Uh, good, good advice. Uh, another strategy that I've seen work really well is some type of a, a, a Kaizen promotion office of some sort or, or a, a lean team. So you would, you know, move your your uh, excess people over to a lean team, give them, give them some training, yeah. some development, some coaching, yeah. have them go and, and facilitate and lead other, you know, Kaizen activities around the organization until a, a position opened up and then you would plug yeah. them back in. And that, I, I feel yeah. like that's also been a really great strategy that I've seen work well at companies. Uh, John, what, what what one bit of advice would you give to a company starting out on its lean journey? One one simple word for me is involve everybody. Mm. <laughs> you know, for, from the beginning, involve everybody. But to explain and communicate what you're doing, but also why you're doing it, get be open with them from the beginning. You know, the reason we're doing this is because um, because there'll always be a suspicion of what's it all about why are we doing it why do we need to do it particularly when you get companies that are showing a profit every year the guys on the shop floor are saying well why are we doing this then we you know we've we've just had our profit share out so why do we need to do this i think you've got to put me people's mind at ease because lean when you say the word lean some people align it with making the place look pretty as you as you know mm -hmm. some people align it with headcount reduction Mm -hmm. uh, and it depends what then people do. Uh, engage everybody from the beginning, you know, create that buzz and atmosphere that people feel they can come to work, they can think, they, they can make ideas, they can, you know, we're going to change. You know, imagine going home to your wife, we're trying to make the company better. And that, that's what you're trying to do in essence, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Start start slowly for me, don't, don't <laughs> you know, Take out the low-hanging fruit to start. Don't, you know, don't go in like deep and then regret what you've done because 
people will be watching you. You, you. You're bringing Lane in. If it succeeds, great. If it doesn't, well, it was your fault. You said it would work. It wasn't wasn't us, you know. That's right. Um, start. We we always do. You, you know the underpinning for for me. Five S standardized work. If, if you can't get them to start the five S, certainly up to the first three S's and standardized work. Because how do you make improvements? And if you haven't got any measurements, how do you know what? How do you want to change the standard, improve it? Right. Se- senior management. You know. You know. You're bringing this lean in and. Well, suddenly say, oh, the senior management are doing Gemba walks. Oh, Gemba walks. What's, what's Gemba walks? Oh, sounds a very, uh, it needs to be seen as a support walk, not as a watchful eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they, you know, you've got to gain this trust. Is well, you know, he's been in, the MD's been in his office for the last two years. Now he's suddenly walking and asking me questions on the shop floor. Right. And he's got uh, a clipboard I, in his I, hand, <laughs> and he keeps writing things down every time he asks me a question, and it makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it does. And you go, um, so what's the problems on the group now? You know, you can imagine you're going, well, do I tell the truth? Um, no, it's okay. It's it's fine. Major problem. It, it's all having about that trust. Um, find you. Go- I always call them golden nuggets. You will have people on that shop floor that would take lean like a duck to water they will take lean like a duck to water find them mm-hmm. find them and utilize them you said before patrick about what we did with the kaizen team certainly in general assembly mm-hmm. we would do it on a rotational basis so we'd look for the people that are keen for one and secondly but don't keep the same kaizen team forever because you put some back on the line and take some new members. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing, you're building up the skill of the line itself. That's so right. in the ideal world, everybody becomes a Kaizen member. Mm-hmm. Um, you will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. Explain that will happen. It won't be perfect. It'll never be perfect. But learn from their mistakes. Lessons learned for me is something, and, and, and GM, certainly the Opal Voxel, Every year we were asked to do a lesson to learn on the previous launch of a model. We did days and days workshop, but on the next model, it was exactly the same. So it would scare you a bit, you know? Right. Uh, and don't try and eat it all in one go. Marginal gains, always one week crowd when we do, and continuous improvement will get you there if you want, if you, if you persevere. That's right. Uh, great advice, John. Love, love those points. Uh, and just to kind of close out today, John, yeah. I, obviously, I love what you're doing with uh, JRC. Learn to be lean. Your your new company uh, and your your availability to to people um, to to help companies improve. Uh, in fact, you even came alongside one of our uh, Green Belt courses and and uh, helped do some coaching with that too, which which I much appreciated. Uh, but wh- why do you most what what do you most enjoy about helping companies improve? It, it's when when you first walk into a company. Um, with it be, and by the way, I do it even when I'm shopping. If you walk into Costa Coffee or whatever, you look, you can't help but look and say, Well, why are they doing that? They could do that. And it's going into a company, even if they think they're lean, is to get on the shop floor. You know, it's something we love is the shop floor. Get to speak to the people, they'll tell you that they're re- it's just that buzz that they go, Because uh, You've come from outside. You're a, you know, the word consultant. That always scares people anyway. They mm-hmm. always think you've got to get the emotional side that they can link to you. They, you know, if we're doing working with a company and it may something we always do, 
is we ask the day before we're doing the workshop or the training, we purposely go the day before just to go and have a coffee with the guys on the shop floor, mm-hmm. walk around, meet the people. And it, what that gives you when Roddy and I are doing it is it, it, it's imperative. You get to know them. You find out who's got a family, who hasn't, who's going to be loud, who's going to be quiet, who's going to give you, you know, you, you spot the nuggets straight away. You think, he know, you know, you probably, well, I've read this book, read that book. Um, identify the loud ones because you know that's always going to be, but you've got to utilize their skill yeah. to your advantage. Use them skills. You know, when you get somebody who says, I've done all this before, I know it all, it's never going to work, blah, blah. You've got to drag that into the thing. Um, and it's really working and applying whatever you're doing is getting that engagement. And, and, and for me, is, you know, sometimes the senior management are a bit reluctant. But we, whatever we put the, the guys on the shop floor through, whether it be production games or... For me, I, if I really prefer, I like the knees up, in the jeans, on the shop floor, and actually do the real stuff. It's great talking all the, the pretend and the, the games, but for me, if we can get on that shop floor and do it, is then you watch people's enthusiasm that are very, you know, very reluctant to start, but they grow. And it's nice to think at the very end, Patrick, when you walk away from a company, they've embedded it in their culture. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that, you've achieved your goal. That's right. Amazing. John, if anybody is listening right now and they want to get a hold of you uh, and talk about, you know, maybe questions or talk about uh, the, what you do now as a, as a consultant, uh, how, what would be the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, as I explained earlier, Patrick, we're, we're brand new, four weeks old, even both of us over the age of a certain amount. I'm not going to say what that is um, <laughs> because, you know, you can. But at the moment, you, you can catch me on LinkedIn. You can catch me, colleague Roddy Craig. He's on LinkedIn. We've just kicked off the LinkedIn uh, company page, and within the next two weeks, the website will be going. But by all means, ask for a link, drop us a line, ask us a question. We're open to anything. Perfect. And what we'll do, John, is we'll put you and your colleagues' uh, LinkedIn link into the show notes. And then once you do have your website up and going, if you send me that link, I'll drop that into the show notes uh, so that people that are listening to this down the road uh, will have access to your your website. So if, if you are listening right now, uh, go check out the show notes and you'll be able to find a link to John's uh, LinkedIn page and, and potentially to his website, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, yeah. But outside of that, John, thanks so much for uh, being on today. Really appreciate your insight. Love your, your stories and experiences uh, at GM uh, with 40 years automotive experience and, and being part of uh, you know the, the time when a lot of the new me learnings were coming over to, to Europe. It's pretty, pretty uh, amazing to just hear some of your experiences. So thank you so much for that. Patrick, been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.